Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is opened up to Philippians, the fourth chapter, and I'm going to invite you to be getting your Bible opened up to Philippians chapter four as well. We're going to work out of this text extensively this morning. We're going to start there and we'll step out a time or two, but we'll just keep coming back and we'll end in Philippians, the fourth chapter, as we work together in the Word of God this morning. I appreciate very much to have the opportunity to speak to you and to present some thoughts from Scripture that I hope will be helpful for you. We are Right here in the dog days of summer, boy, oh boy, it's a hot one today, but I am just delighted. It's the day that the Lord has made, and so we're going to be glad and rejoice in it, and we're going to see what kind of good things we can find from this book. And so let's get right to it. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, I'm reading here beginning in verse 10. These are the words of the Apostle Paul when he says to the Philippians, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That is an amazing text, isn't it? I don't think there's anybody who doesn't wish that they could say those exact same words. Yet let me ask you this morning some questions to gauge where you are with that contentment thing. How content are you with, with your life? For example, if you're married, how happy are you with your marriage? Are you truly happy and content with your spouse or... Or are you just kind of coexisting like a couple of grumpy strangers just living under the same roof? Or, on the other hand, if you're single, if you're not married, are you content with your lot in life being a single person? Or, or do you look around at all the married folks and you see how happy they are and you end up grumbling over the fact that you don't have a husband or a wife? Or what about your job? Are you satisfied with your place of employment? One study found that 82% of Americans say they dislike their job. They're simply working for the weekend, trying to hold on until retirement. Is, is that you? Can you just barely stand the thought of going to work and clocking in and doing all the things that you have to do at your job? Or let me ask, what about your appearance? How do you feel about your appearance? Are you content with how you look? You know, you think about all the billions of dollars that are spent each year on makeup products and hair products and dietary supplements and exercise equipment and elective plastic surgery procedures. Americans have all kinds of body image issues. Are you one of those people who just aren't happy with how you look? Or maybe I should even ask as well, how content are you with the local church with which you identify? The congregation with which you worship and work on a regular basis. You know, the congregation here at Lakeside, there are so many good and great things to be said about this group of believers, yet, yet it is so easy to look at and then to find the problems and to snipe and to grumble and to complain. When are they going to fix that? Isn't somebody going to do something about that? All of those questions about contentment are not insignificant because discontentment and the discouragement that comes from that have long been one of the devil's favorite 
tools. Think about it. Go back to the very beginning of time. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden? What did the devil say to Adam and Eve? Did the devil say to Adam and Eve, Wow, guys, look at all this great stuff that God has given you. Boy, you are truly blessed. You are literally living in paradise. Wow, you guys have just got it so great. No. No, what the devil said was he called their attention to the one thing that they didn't have and they couldn't have. The devil said, look at... Look at that tree right there. Now that, that's a nice tree. Yeah, I realize God said don't touch that tree, don't be eaten from that tree, but man, that's a nice tree. Look at the fruit on that tree. I tell you what, I think God's holding out on you guys. And if you really want to be happy, what you need is you need to go and get some of the fruit of that tree. And they did. The devil succeeded in focusing Adam and Eve's attention on what they did not have. Instead of focusing them on how rich and how blessed they were, he convinced them that they were poor. And I want you to know this morning that the devil is continuing to pull that same trick on you and I even today. He feeds discontent into our lives and as a result we oftentimes are thankless and we're fretful and we're grumblers, and our influence is damaged, and our walk with God lacks real joy. Which is why I think we desperately need to know what Paul knew in Philippians chapter 4, and that is that Paul had found the key to unlock contentment. Paul was able to tap into something that caused him to have an outlook on life that was refreshing and very, very different from the discontented society in which he lived and even in which you and I live today. And I've got to tell you, I want to know more about that. I want to know more about the key to being content, which is why this morning I do want to talk to you for just a few minutes about contentment. I want to talk about some of the enemies of contentment. I want to talk about the secret to contentment. And then I do want to talk about some very practical ways in which we can start to build and grow contentment in our lives, things that we can put into practice this very day, this very week. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to be more content? Let's see if we can work with some of that. Let's start by talking about some of those enemies of contentment, some of those things that just war against contentment in our lives. And that begins with this first thing, and that is unrealistic expectations. You know, if our expectations for life are just not based in reality, then it is only going to be natural for disappointment to take hold once that reality starts to set in. Think about it. Not all of our lives are going to be exactly like we see on television. Non-stop excitement, all kinds of just roller coaster thrills and things happening all the time. And then, of course, at the end, every problem and every hiccup gets resolved in 30 seconds or less. That's not the way life works. Not every marriage is going to be like Ward and June Cleavers where there's never a crossword and everybody's just so impeccably groomed from head to toe and everything's just so chipper and so swell. Not all of our kids are going to turn out to be academic geniuses or finish first place at everything that they do. Not every job is going to be personally fulfilling and pay really, really well and be just amazingly rewarding. That's just not life. 
In your Bibles, would you look in John the 16th chapter? In John chapter 16, this is Jesus talking to his disciples and he gives them a reality check before he's about to send them out into the world. And it's a reality check that you and I need as well. In John 16, look in verse 33. In John 16 verse 33, Jesus says there, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace, but in the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, being a Christian does not mean that we're always going to get what we want in life and everything's just going to be smooth sailing. No. Jesus says there's going to be trouble. And I think he's probably talking to the disciples about a specific kind of trouble. But generally speaking, there's going to be trouble for us. And we just need to see that truth for what it is. As we're thinking about that, we do need to be careful, secondly, that we don't get involved in making unfair comparisons. There's a parable that Jesus tells over in the 20th chapter of Matthew. Look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, this is the parable of the laborers. And Jesus tells here about a landowner who hires a whole bunch of guys and he tells them, hey, I'm going to pay you so much for working for me throughout the day. Then at lunchtime, he goes and he hires some more guys. And at the end of the day, he then goes out, kind of at the last moment, the last hour, he hires even more guys and brings them in to do some work. And so what's he got? He's got some guys that are working a whole day. He's got some guys that are working just half a day. And he's got some guys that are just working like the last hour or so of the day. And at the end of the day, the owner pays everybody the same. He does. Even the guys who only worked one hour, they get paid the same amount. Look at what those whole day workers end up saying about that. In Matthew chapter 20, this is verse 11. And each of them, as they received, receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Come on, do you see what happened there? By comparing themselves to these others, well, suddenly that wage that they were so happy and so satisfied with at the beginning of the day, well now, well now it doesn't seem like it's nearly enough. You see, when they compared themselves to other people, they became discontent. Can I ask you, does that ever happen to us? Yeah, you know it does. Especially if you're involved in social media and you've got friends on Facebook or Instagram. This is just where social media just really begins to gnaw at us. You get on Facebook, start scrolling through there, seeing people's pictures, see how they're doing, seeing how they're living, and what happens? We start, we start comparing to them. Look at, look at what they got. Oh, look at where she's been. Oh, wow, look what they got to go and do. And then we end up thinking to ourselves, well, well my life isn't that good. We start comparing to them and we then say to ourselves things like, I wish I was as pretty as she was. I wish I had the things that he has. I wish my family was more like theirs. And we just end up fanning those flames of discontentment. Comparing ourselves to others, that is just a guaranteed trip down misery lane because the fact of the matter is you can always find somebody who's doing better than you are. Which brings me to this third thing that oftentimes wars against contentment, and that is when we just have unnoticed blessings. Can I say a word in that direction from Colossians chapter 2? 
In Colossians chapter 2, here's a verse that we really only tend to read around Thanksgiving time. But I love the words of Paul here at every time of the year. In Colossians chapter 2, this is verse number 7. In Colossians 2 and verse 7, Paul says, We're to be rooted and built up in Jesus and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. Wow, that isn't exactly the motto of America today, is it? You know, no people in history have had more possessions, more freedom, more opportunity, more chances, more things to do, things that are fun, more stuff to have and to enjoy, and yet all too often we take all of that, we just take it all for granted. We just kind of expect that we get that. It is our inalienable right. You know, we sometimes sing that song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. But when's the last time that you really sat down and did that? Do you see how easy it is for us to just kind of sail right by all that we have and we don't end up even focusing on it or being thankful for it while instead we are made discontent by looking at and thinking about all of the other things that we don't have. These are exactly the kinds of things that hinder and obstruct our ability to be content. Which is why we want to listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say as you turn back to Philippians chapter 4 now. Because Paul helps us here to discover, he helps us to discover the secret to contentment. I'm looking here in Philippians 4 again, look in verse 11. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Number one, we're talking about the secret to contentment. Number one, contentment is a learned condition. It is not an instantaneous gift that you receive the moment that you come up out of the waters of baptism. No. Furthermore, it's not even something that the preacher can feed to you if maybe you're running low on it. Hey, Josh, I'm not feeling very content. Can you just preach some of that into me? No. No, Paul says he had to learn it. And we will too. In fact, the term learn here seems to be the idea of learning through experience. And that can oftentimes be tough. Just as we have to learn all kinds of things to fill our character, we have to learn patience. We have to learn self-control. We have to learn how to be forgiving. In the same way, we're going to have to learn how to add contentment into our character. And I need to be very clear here. We're not talking about learning how to be content so that we can become complacent. Sometimes I think people confuse the idea of complacency and contentment thinking that Christians are to have some kind of just shallow resignation of, oh well, this is life. This is just as good as it can be and whatever happens is going to happen. Absolutely not. That is not what contentment is about. Would you look in Romans chapter 12? In Romans chapter 12, hold your place in Philippians. In Romans chapter 12, look at what Paul says there in verse 11. In Romans chapter 12 and in verse 11, Paul says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Paul talks here about the idea of advancing and moving forward and always pressing on to greater and better things. 
And by the way, that is not the only place that we are encouraged to do that kind of thing, to, to tone up and to crank up our walk with the Lord, to not be apathetic or lukewarm or lackadaisical. Do you remember the story that Jesus told, the parable of the talents, about the two-talent man and the five-talent man? Both of those guys were commended for doing. On the other hand, the one-talent man, he was condemned. Why? Because he was complacent. The Bible urges us to make the most of our opportunities, to strive for excellence in our service to God. This attitude of, man, whatever, that's not the attitude of Christ. That's not contentment. Well, somebody would maybe ask, well, well what is contentment? Well, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that contentment does not look at the past. And furthermore, contentment isn't really even concerned about the future. It's not looking backward. It's not necessarily even looking forward. No, contentment is about right here and right now. Contentment is, let me just give you my little definition of it, it is the learned attitude that says, I am thankful for where I am right here and right now. And so I'm going to do what I can right here and right now. That, that is something that has to be learned. Nobody is just born feeling that way. We have to learn to have that kind of an attitude. And Paul had that as you look there in Philippians chapter 4. Paul is saying, I am thankful for where I am right here and right now. And you know what? I'm going to do what I can. Make the best of this right here and right now. And as you keep looking further in Philippians chapter 4, I believe Paul helps us to see secondly in this connection that contentment is, it is very much a state of mind and not a state of circumstances. Would you look again at verse 12? In verse 12 is where he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul says here that I have been in just a variety of different circumstances. I've been in a variety of different places. Some of them have been great, and you know what? A lot of others of them have been not so great. But still, I am able to be content. And you know what? Paul certainly had experienced his fair share of difficult circumstances, hadn't he? He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been stoned and left for dead. He'd been beaten and whipped on multiple occasions. He got bit by a snake for crying out loud. And now at this point in his life, when Paul writes this letter, he is old and he is single. It seems as if he may have even has some physical infirmities. And where is he? Oh yeah, he's in jail. He's in a Roman prison cell. And still... This old, lonely, hurting guy in jail is able to say, I'm content. I am thankful right here and right now. And I'm doing the best that I can right here and right now. I am content. Do you see what Paul is showing us here? What Paul is showing us here is that contentment is a choice. It is. It's a choice. We decide to be content. You choose to be thankful for where you are right here and right now. You can choose to be disillusioned and to be depressed. Or on the other hand, you can choose to be joyful. 
and to be content. You can choose over here to compare yourself and to be envious of everybody else. Or on the other hand, you can, be, you can choose to be grateful for what you have and what God's blessed you with. You can choose on this hand to ignore all of your blessings and to complain and to gripe. Or on the other hand, you can choose to open up your eyes and to count those blessings and to praise God. At the end of the day though, it is your choice. Which means then that we need to focus our attention on the things that matter the very most in life. And not get fixated on trivial things like like stuff and how much stuff we have. That means that we need to work on things like our praying. Maybe even just begin each day with a prayer of thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for letting me live today. Thank you for giving me breath in my body and letting me see the sunrise one more time. Thank you for all of the opportunities that you've set before me. We'll have to decide, won't we? We'll have to decide whether we're going to be content like Paul or whether we're not. We can choose contentment. And that's particularly because of this third secret and that is that contentment is the result of our allegiance to Christ It's not the result of indulging ourselves. You know, what many people mistakenly think is that if they could just gratify all of their wishes, if I could just have every single thing on my wish list, everything that's in my Amazon account that I've got in my shopping cart, if I could just have all of my desires fulfilled, well then, then I'd be wildly, amazingly happy. If I could just have all the stuff that I've wanted, if I could just do everything I've wanted to do, go everywhere that I've wanted to go, then I would finally be content. And you know what? There are people in our society who do seemingly get everything that they want and do everything that they want to do. You know what they're called? They're called celebrities, movie stars, musicians, athletes. They've got all that money. They've got all the fame and notoriety. And so as a result, they indulge themselves in everything that life has to offer. And you know what? We look at those people. We see them on our television. We look at them on our internet screens. And we say to, the, we say to ourselves, we say, man, they've really got it made. These people, they have achieved genuine contentment. Really? Really? Why is it then that the news is regularly filled with stories about celebrities who have checked in to the Betty Floyd Clinic. Or here's this famous couple over here who's filed for divorce. Or here's this actor who got into a big contract dispute with the people at the studio and now he walked off the set in a huff. Or here's this big famous linebacker who got arrested for possessing and using cocaine. Or here's this world-famous rock star who was found dead in his hotel room the result of an apparent suicide. I'm going to tell you, you don't have to go to church to get this third point. You just take a look at the culture in which we live. Because the people who are indulging themselves the very mostest, they are not the happiest people on the planet. In fact, they're not even remotely close to being content. And you know what? If that's not enough, just take some time to read the book of Ecclesiastes. Would you look with me in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2? In Ecclesiastes 2, as you're turning there, let me give you just a thumbnail sketch of what's going on in this little journal, this little diary that Solomon wrote. 
Solomon, who had arguably more money and more stuff than anybody today has ever even thought about having, he indulged himself in every possible way with pleasures, with fun, with women, with wine, with anything else that you can think of. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, in the first 10 verses or so, he describes all of those things. And at the end of all of that self-indulgement, Solomon did not say, you know what? That made me really happy. Boy, I'll tell you what, I am so content now. Nope. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon says just the opposite in verse 11. He says, Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. It was striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Acquiring things, going places, doing fun stuff, living for self, it did not make Solomon content. The only thing that was able to bring him centeredness and contentment, in fact, if you fast forward to the very end of the book, he tells us what it was. It's found in chapter 12 and in verse 13, the conclusion of Solomon's little life experiment. Here's where he found contentment, chapter 12, verse 13. The end of the matter after all has been heard... Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. You see, it is only when we are serving the Lord. Only then is the human spirit filled up like it's supposed to be. Full and satisfied because that's what God made us to do. And so contentment is a learned condition. It is a state of mind that says, I am thankful for where I am right here and right now, doing the best that I can right here and right now because because we are serving the Lord. And when we do that, there is a confidence, there is a settledness, there is a peace of mind that is able to be unlocked. Philippians 4, as you turn back now, verse 13 It is the state of mind that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want to be very careful here, and you need to be very careful with this verse. Philippians 4.13 does not mean that you can do anything. You can't flap your arms hard enough and all of a sudden you'll start flying because Christ gives me the strength to do that. Nope. Nope, don't do that. But you know what? In the context of Philippians chapter 4, what does that verse mean? That verse means I can be content. I can do this. As I am serving Jesus Christ, He gives me the strength to be able to be content. And praise God for that. That I don't have to be captive to the heavy chains of discontent. Jesus Christ brings freedom, salvation, and yes, He brings true contentment. Now, I said at the beginning of the lesson that I actually would like to give some practical ideas that you and I can start putting into practice today and this week. Let me give you those ideas right now about how we can be growing in our contentment. Let me start with this first one, and that is we need to saturate ourselves in the promises of God. You know, the world wants you to believe that you can't achieve happiness until you have this or you buy that or you experience some of this over here. Listen to me. That's a bunch of nonsense. That's a bunch of garbage. 
Paul said, I'm content right here, right now, and Jesus makes that possible. And what you need to be doing, brother or sister, is you need to be reading that a whole lot more, and you need to be listening to the world's sermons a whole lot less. Listen to God's promises and just soak in those. Secondly, let me tell you, you need to be surrounding yourself with other people who are content. Get around some folks who are at peace with where they are right here and right now. Get around some folks who are abounding in thanksgiving. People who are doing the best they can with the circumstances in which they find themselves. You know, on the other hand, when you're around people who are just discontent, people who are always mumbling and grumbling and complaining about what they don't have, what's that do to you? It just pulls you down. Man, it's just a drag. It brings you down to their level. It just feeds that discontentment monster. Stay away from those people. You know, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3 talking about that in the latter days there's going to come all these different kinds of people and he mentions specifically people are going to be ungrateful. And then he concludes that section by saying avoid those people. Get away from folks like that. Instead, get around some people who have some sense of contentedness. Why? Why just us being around the Apostle Paul this morning in Philippians chapter 4? That's, that's helped all of us, hasn't it? That's brightened our perspective. Which brings you to this third help for growing in contentment. And that is we need to be willing to surrender something that we think that we can't live without. Is there maybe some special object or possession or event or something that you think you can't live without? Something that you just have told yourself that if you don't have that, it's just going to kill you. If you don't get that immediately, oh man, I'm just going to be so miserable. Can I challenge you this week? Be willing to give that thing up. In the words of that contagious Disney song, let it go. Just, just let that thing go. Just decide, I'm not going to get that thing. Even if you've got the money to get that thing. Nope. Not going to get it. Even if you've got the time to go in and be involved in that thing. Nope. Not going to do that. I can do without it. Going to let that go. When you do that, what you'll find out pretty quickly is that, well, it didn't kill you to not have that thing. And furthermore, secondly, you will be better equipped to tackle the next big thing that comes along that you think that you've absolutely got to have. Surrender something this week. And then lastly, let me suggest to you, if you're going to grow in contentment, You've got to systematically put that into practice. You know, just like all of the other great learned virtues, contentment is a skill that has to be flexed and practiced regularly. It is something that just requires constant repetition. You can't do these things once and then expect that contentment is all of a sudden, oh, it's magically built into my character. No. Just because you heard one sermon about it today, that does not make you a contented person. It's going to take some practice on your part. Which means we'll have to be planning. And we'll have to be looking and watching for opportunities to practice contentment. For example, when those television commercials come on, when those advertisements come on for that big new truck or that cool new video game, then maybe what you need to do is grab the remote control and click, turn that thing off. 
If my friends, if they're constantly posting status updates and pictures on Facebook and Instagram of all the things that they have, and these are things that I don't have, and it's causing me to have those feelings of discontent, then maybe what I need to do is I need to log off Facebook. Maybe I need to get that phone and I need to turn it off and lay it down. Maybe if in my idle time, my quiet time, the devil is just filling my mind with all kinds of thoughts of, oh, I wish I had this. Why can't we have more of that? Then what I need to do is I need to turn my attention to thinking God's thoughts. In fact, as you turn back to our opening text in Philippians chapter 4, that's what Paul encourages in verses 8 and 9. In Philippians 4 verses 8 and 9, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I began this lesson this morning with a series of questions to try and measure and gauge your level of contentment. Uh, Let me end this morning with a final set of questions to see where you still are with all of that. First of all, what if on Friday afternoon, as you were about to clock out at work, what if your boss had came to you and said, I'm I'm sorry, but um, we're going to have to let you go. We're going to have to make some cuts and you were on the chopping block. What if then on Saturday you had a doctor's appointment, you were going to get some results of some tests that you had recently done, and you go into the doctor's office and the doctor says, we've got the results of those tests, and I'm sorry to tell you, but you have cancer. Then imagine Saturday afternoon, you're on the car ride home, and as you are approaching where you live, you see some smoke, you see some flames, and as you approach where your house is, you come to see that your house is on fire and it has burnt to the ground. What if on Saturday night your telephone rings and a police officer says to you, I'm sorry to tell you, your children were in an accident and they're dead. But then what if today? What if today somebody waved a magic wand and they were able to just fix all of that? You get your job back. You get your health back, you get your house back, you get your kids back. You went from the saddest day ever to the happiest day ever, yes? Let me ask you this then. Since you have all of that already, your health, your house, your job, your family, why aren't you already content? Do we have to lose things? to realize how good we really have it? Let's choose to be content so that we can indeed know the joy and the peace that Paul describes here in Philippians chapter 4. Let's pray about that. Would you pray with me please? Our dear gracious God, we come before you thankful for your word and we're so thankful for the writings of your servant Paul. Father, we thank you so much for the encouragement and the strength that Philippians chapter 4 provides for us and the way that it challenges us to be more content. 
Father, we do come confessing that far too often we, we have unrealistic expectations about life. We, we compare ourselves to others. We, we get too fixated on what we don't have instead of focusing on the blessings and being thankful for what we do have. Father, forgive us. We ask for your forgiveness, please. Help us, Lord, to find our satisfaction in you and in living for you. Lord, we ask you to be patient with us as we seek to learn and build contentment into our lives. And we ask all these blessings and favors in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. And amen.